LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm all by on onesie today. No Daniel Eam, no Eric Geiger, who is now long gone, no Barnabas Piper. He needs to come back. Uh, today, I'm here with a special guest for two reasons. One, uh, Brad Lominick told me I was really going to enjoy this guest. And two, uh, Kana Nelson, our our director of, I don't know what her title is now. She's VP of something. She's over like leadership and I don't know, uh, human resources and everything else. She called me this morning and said, hey, you are going to really enjoy your time with Terry A. Smith today. He was my pastor for nearly 20 years. And there's so many things that I could tell you about him. And I'm like, well, do tell. Tell me, I need some dirt. I need some dirt (laughs) on this guy. And she didn't have any dirt on you, Terry. But she said, you know, um, we started off in the storefront uh, a long, long time ago up in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, over the years, he hasn't changed in his his character or intensity. But he's not as fun as he used to be. (laughs) She, she, She said, you know. Uh, I didn't see anything affect his humility uh, at all. She said he, he just, you know, he may have he, he may have gotten more serious as uh, the size of the ministry grew, <laughs> the seriousness of the ministry grew. So how's that for an introduction? Wow. Well, thanks. I, I, <laughs> hey, I'll say a couple things in response to that. First of all, thanks, Brad Lomenick. <laughs> and uh, secondly, thanks, Kana. Kana, by the way, Todd, just so you know, their Lifeway is the chief human resources oh, there you go. officer of Lifeway. So I, I'm happy to let you know that. And Kana and her husband, Daryl, were uh, a part of our community here for 15 to 20 years and she does have dirt on me but she's being kind she's being kind that's good the, that's good. the third thing I, I would say is i'm glad I, I wish daniel m was 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 on only because our pastoral team's going through his book uh, no silver bullets and they say it's a, a silver bullet for them so well, that's I, I don't know if he would be happy to hear that or not <laughs> and the fourth thing is it's great to be with you todd i've heard you for years followed your work, been inspired and educated by your work. So thank you. Oh, well, uh, thank you. And thank you for, uh, and, and thank you for everything that you've done both at your church and, uh, for sharing a book that I haven't seen around, um, which is the hospitable leader. Um, and what I mean by that, you haven't seen it around cause it doesn't drop until October. Uh, but, uh, I haven't seen this subject tackled in quite this way. Um, the connection between hospitality and leadership. I I personally um, have seen that. And people that listen to the podcast for a while will know that um, I was notoriously obsessed with environment uh, when it came to our campuses. In particular, when we would have a lot of people at a campus and in overflow and just making sure that we created environments that uh, were conducive for people to connect with each other. Because, you know, you you are also in a, uh, a northeastern part of the country where there's a lot of transient, uh, that people are transient. They come and go quite a bit, um, as well as the fact that 
um, they're really busy. So when I moved to Nashville, people were like, what's the biggest difference? I'm like, well, sometimes I just wish people would wake up with a sense of urgency. Uh, and that's usually not a problem up there. And so uh, in order to get people to slow down and connect, it was it was you know absolutely vitally important. Uh, so the, the first question I wanted to ask is what what's the connection between leadership and hospitality and how important is that? Well, the, the connection of of hospitality and leadership for me is how a leader intentionally creates environments of welcome where all types of leadership can be more effectively employed to influence an ever expanding diversity of people. Uh, it's I, I love the 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 connection between hospitality and leadership as long as someone doesn't get confused that it's only about either of those things, but it's really the marriage of the two. So we create environments that help us to lead more effectively. It, this is a, this is, is ultimately an outcomes based kind of thing. I mean, we're trying, leaders are trying to accomplish something, but when we understand how important it is to create environments where people are more inclined to want to follow us, um, well, I, I think that that's really important. And, and I would also say that when I talk about hospitality, I'm, I'm talking about physicality. I'm talking about physical space, of course, but as much as that, or even more, I'm talking about attitudinal environment, spiritual environment, communicative environment. I'm talking about the whole package of how you create an environment that, that invites people, that welcomes people, and that, that influences them when they're there. Hmm. And so, uh, so let me ask a, a, a follow-up question to that then. Is it more of, so are you saying it's, um, I, I really keyed in on the word intentionality that you were talking about in, intentionality that, you know, some people just have, may have kind of a family church culture and it just kind of happened, you know, it was intuitive or it was part of the community. Um, but how do you actually, um, create that intentionality? How do you move? How it was, um, almost a posture of hospitality. How do you create that on a team? Well, for us, it was a necessity. And by that, I mean, not being in a Bible Belt context, um, we had to figure out how to, how to build something in what m most people think of as a very in inhospitable place. So I'm sitting right now at, at our main campus in West Orange, New Jersey at the Life Christian Church, 13 miles from Times Square. So we're, we're right here in the, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere place. And no one thinks of New Jersey in terms of hospitality. When you talk about Southern <laughs> hospitality, you're not talking about South Jersey and you're not talking about the South Bronx. So we, we had to really work hard to create a hospitable environment in an inhospitable place. It did not happen by accident. We had to think long and hard. How do we create an environment as a church all the way back when 54 people elected me as pastor 27 years ago until today? How do we create an environment as a church where people who typically wouldn't be inclined to be in a church would want to be there? 
in a place where very few churches have, have grown and thrived over the years. So we, we had to really work hard, you know, again, both in terms of physical space and just the way we approached people in general. Hmm. Yeah. You know, coming from that environment uh, or similar environment in D.C., I I felt like it has been difficult to find the level of connection here in the South that I felt up there from the from the aspect of, you know, a small group, as an example. Um, I still vacation with a small group I was part of in D.C. or Mm. one of the small groups I was part of in D.C. We I mean, we've been doing that for like 14 years. Um, and I, there was just something that was, I don't know, more vulnerable or deeper connection or something that was that was there. And that's not what you typically think of when you think of the South. You think of warm, inviting, friendly, you know, all these things. But I think you talked about in the book, you know, people's people's um, thought when they hear New Jersey and they think, you know, where you are, they think loud, they think, you know, big personalities, they think Jersey Shore, Um, you know, they think all these things. But, you know, you pointed out, hey, once you get past that veneer, um, these people, if you can make friends with them, they're, 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 it's not surface level at all. They're, you know, friends for life. And there's a genuineness um, that's there. Well, that's an insightful perspective that uh, only someone who has been in a Northeastern healthy spiritual community can understand, especially if they're now in a Bible Belt context. I'm from Indiana, so I am an unlikely guy to be leading a, a successful congregation in a suburb of New York City. And part of my experience here the last 27 years has been what I've learned from these people. These people are so incredibly real and uh, there's not a lot of veneer. Um, if, if, if they say, come see me sometime, you can get your schedule book out because they mean it. They're not just asking you to come and have sweet tea with them. They, they, they want to connect and it's, it's, it's hard to get them to the place where they really open up to you. But when they do, it's very, very real. And, and, and it, it has helped form and shape me as a, as a Christ follower, as a person and as a leader in profound ways. Um, so I, I, I love something that I probably should say is probably the thing that our church is most known for is our incredible diversity, which takes this discussion to another level. We are a church without a dominant racial group. And that almost seems impossible, even as I hear myself say it, but we're a church without a dominant racial group. And um, we also, in terms of of basic demographics, we are incredibly diverse socioeconomically. We're diverse in terms of levels of education, lots of PhDs and a lot of GEDs. Um, 
and I could go on. We're very diverse when it concerns people coming from a variety of denominational backgrounds mm-hmm. and unchurched backgrounds. What's amazing is to create an environment where that diversity of people connect over many, many years in intense community and relationship with one another. Well, I think one of the things that uh, the church gets, the church, Big C Church right now, at least in the States, is getting gets hung up on is the the whole idea of um, almost diversity for the sake of diversity. We had a similar thing at McLean where you couldn't pick, you know, a dominant ethnicity. However, uh, I would say it was because we were in a diverse community and we were just we were reaching our community. And if you're in a diverse community and you reach your community, then you if you're in a diverse community, then you really need to think about diversity. If you are in the middle of nowhere or you're in a, a specific uh, area that within three miles of your church is predominantly uh, almost a monoculture, then you're probably going to reach a monoculture uh, unless you're super, super intentional uh, to do otherwise. But I think part of what does that is that whole idea of uh, hospitality. And honestly, you know, I, I do want to move to our second question, which is I, I think will help frame out this a little bit better, which is what part does or did hospitality play in the culture of the early church? Well, first of all, as you well know, Jesus ministered in a context of hospitality personally in in ways that that are almost extreme. I mean, one of the, the greatest criticisms that was offered about him and he was repeating the criticism back to his critics was that he came eating and drinking or enjoying life. And constantly, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he's either on his way to dinner, at dinner, on his way back from dinner. If there's not food, he creates it. Um, He's constantly uh, feasting uh, with uh, both those who are close to him and those who are completely other than him. So there's that. And then this is carried over in the early church, of course, when uh, the early church leaders were commanded. One of the requirements of an elder was that they had to be hospitable or they had to be willing to open their homes to to each other and to strangers. And it's amazing when you see how often this comes up, uh, particularly in the letters of Paul and, and the pastoral letters. Um, th- this was a big part of early Christian church culture was the practice of hospitality. Hmm. That, that reminds me of, uh, uh, a, a Tozer quote that, um, it's, uh, it's no small scandal in the kingdom to see God's children starving while actually seated at the father's table. And so to think about, you know, how many people at that are that may be part of your congregation seated at the table and especially in this day and age starving for what the church, you know, truly is is meant to be. You know, uh, one of the ways that Jesus described his his leadership is he described it as a feast that a king threw for his son. He actually said, speaking of his leadership sphere domain, he said the kingdom of God is. 
like a, a wedding feast that a king threw for his son. And one of the ways that I, I think about leadership and hospitable leadership in particular is what would, what kind of leadership would I have to exert in order for the people who follow me to think of my leadership in terms of a feast, being invited to a table, being, being fed, being in community with one another and, um, and fulfilling mission from that vantage point that uh, this is this is a feast that we're engaged in together uh, and it's community but it's community with purpose it's community with outcomes that's good that's good well what 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 did this look like in your church it sounds like this was something that you know hot the, the connection between hospitality and church and church culture was really connected closely by you early on in your ministry. So what did this look like when you started out, you know, in a storefront between a liquor store and a pub? Uh, like, what did that look like, you know, both internally inside the church and externally in your community? And how did that change through the different stages of growth of the church? Wow, that's a big question. Um well, for one thing, I would love to have started out in a storefront. The fact is, 27 years ago, we didn't have a building at all. We we spent the first four years uh, going from terrible rented space to terrible rented space. And then we felt like that we had won the lottery when we were able to purchase uh, what, what, I, what was a storefront, uh, an 11,000 square foot building uh, on the main street in our community here, West Orange, contiguous to the liquor lobby on one side and Pauly's pub on the other. By contiguous, <laughs> of course, I mean that our walls joined. Right. But we did our best to make that, uh, uh, to create a very hospitable environment there. We took the best practices of some of the leading churches in the country around hospitality and we integrated it into that small building, um, including, you know, 20 almost 25 years ago now having a, a cafe coffee bar setting, which was, which was a new thing in, in the church world at that time. And, uh, one of the, I never like to think about it as a storefront, but years ago we had Carl George visit us. If you remember Carl. Yeah. And Carl said, uh, he said, this is the most beautiful storefront church in this country. And I was offended that he called it a storefront church, and I was uh, grateful that he thought that we had created a beautiful space. Well, we were there for 17 years, um, and we grew to a, a, a pretty sizable congregation in that space, and we did everything we knew to do to practice hospitality. And during much of that time, we were in the process of developing a beautiful campus um, it doesn't sound like much in a Bible context, but we're on eight acres, 13 miles from Times Square with a beautiful pond and fountain and waterfall and, you know, everything that you would expect in a, in a newly built church facility. But to me, the physical part of the environment, which we have now in abundance and had and struggled to have for so many years has become secondary to kind of the responsibility I feel to create an overall environment that really welcomes all kinds of people into our church. And so I probably think every bit as much about 
how do I how do I engage an unchurched person in a in a New York City context um, in terms of not the way we welcome them into our space, but the way we grab their hearts or like I like to talk about in, in, in this book, the way we warm their hearts and the way that we're able to communicate truth in a way that even when they disagree, they're willing to receive. I think I'm feeling more and more responsibility around that these days. Now that we've kind of settled the physical uh, uh, space thing, um, I think a lot about communicative environment and um, uh, the, the attitude of our people and corporate values that reflect a hospitable heart and so on. How do you, okay, so, you know, obviously everyone, hopefully everyone agrees that, you know, a church is, it's people. Um, so how do you, how do you instill this in your culture with, you know, just the, 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 the average attendee at your church? By that, you mean how do we instill this idea of, of hospitable leadership or an idea of hospitality? Yes. Well, um, well we talk a lot about it. Um, probably no surprise, one of our corporate values in, our, in what we call the TLCC way, the TLCC way being the Life Christian Church way, is that we are always hospitable. And um, there are a couple of sub points there. I'll give you an example of one that we talk a lot about. Um, one of the sub points to we are always hospitable is that we massage people's hearts. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but um, in the hospitable leader, I, I, I offer five welcomes. And the first welcome is called home. And I talk about how that home is where where the heart is warm and how that when you when you warm people's hearts, you lead them better. So one of the ways that we discuss this is that we massage people's heart. I, uh, I, I hope it doesn't take too long to tell the story, but I, I have a friend who watched a guy perform open heart surgery. And while the patient was lying on the table, their heart stopped beating. And this, my friend watched this surgeon put his hands in this in this patient's chest and actually massage their heart until it started beating again. And, um, uh, my friend actually wrote a song, uh, called, uh, tell my, teach my heart to beat again. And, uh, we, so we, we teach our people, let's say for instance, baristas in the coffee bar that you're doing more than serving a cup of coffee, but, uh, you, you, I want you to think about what it would look like for you to reach into that person's chest and massage their heart. We, we, we want you, everybody is in the heartwarming business. Everybody is in the business of taking hearts of stone and, 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 and helping God turn them into hearts of flesh because people are going to hear a message here in a little while that it's going to speak truth that is going to be more receptive when someone's heart is warm. So all of us are in the heartwarming business, the way that someone's communicating from the stage, the way that someone's leading a meeting, uh, the, the way that kids are being welcomed into our kid zone. Um, we're, we're all in the business when we talk about hospitality 
of at least in part massaging people's hearts. So that would be an example of the kind of thing that, that we talk about in a metaphor that we use that that the, the, the people serving in our church would understand. So what are some examples of businesses or churches who who get hospitality? What's that what's that look like? You got examples that we might be familiar with? Well, um, I actually there are there are examples in the business world that come to mind more than uh, come to mind uh, for churches. Right. So uh, an obvious example would be Starbucks. I mean, if you read uh, Howard Schultz's, uh, I believe his last book called Onward, uh, and you read about the way that they work to create environments in Starbucks that people want to hang out in and continue to come back to. I think that's a great example. They virtually um, invented the, the idea of third place. Yeah. You know, a lot of pastors today, churches today are talking about the third place or at least five years ago, maybe. Maybe they're still talking about it. I think I've heard it recently. But that idea, that concept, I think, in large part came about because of Starbucks. Yeah, and 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 Schultz's book um, is is really, I mean, no one's ever written a book about hospitable leadership that I know of explicitly, but really, his book onward is a great a classic example of a, of a hospitable leader. Someone else I think about, I think about um, Pixar, and uh, I think about how Ed Catmull in uh, in his book, the, the name of which I don't, I don't remember right now, something about creativity, if I remember correctly, but he Is talks creativity about creativity Inc. Yeah. Creativity Inc. Yeah. It's marvelous, marvelous book on leadership. It's, it's, you know, you don't think about it as a book on leadership, but it really is a book on leadership. He talks about how Steve jobs designed the Pixar campus so that, that when you, when you're in the space that it, you're, you're forced in the way the space is designed to interact with other people and to have community. But he also talks about what I call the mystery of home. He talks about how that when you're in the space, you feel a certain wistfulness. Um, you feel a certain, I don't know if this is a direct quote, but it's something similar. You feel a longing for home. I think in, in hospitable environments create that kind of heartache that uh, points us to something more I think that's part of the role of beauty, by the way, that beauty opens us to God in ways that are mysterious but real. So I think about that when I think about businesses. I think about, of course, everyone talks about Southwest Airlines. Right. I think about, you know, their their corporate culture that uh, that stresses creating an environment of fun and, and the way that they they implement that in so many ways. So those would that would be some those would be some businesses that would come to my mind. Good, good. So we often talk about, or at least I often talk about leaders as being uh, curators and, you know, kind of cultivators of culture, the culture that they want. That's one of our biggest jobs. Uh, what does it look like for uh, a leader to curate environments? That, that's a, that's a, that's such a good question that I don't know that I completely <laughs> understand it. When you, when you say curate environments, help me a little I, bit. I mean, uh, curate, cultivate, like they're in the process of, um, meticulously looking at an environment, adding things that are helpful, 
and removing things that are not versus not noticing, you know, that uh, this environment is not welcoming or this environment is uh, it wouldn't be it wouldn't appear to be hospitable to someone coming in for the first time to try to check their kids in. Uh, it might not feel safe. It might not feel, you know, it's it's really paying attention to, you know, the environment. How so my question is, you know, what does it look like to curate? What does it look like to do that uh, in a church? Well, let me let me respond to that by by saying that I think I think Jesus offers uh, in a in a two thousand year old way, but nonetheless, that he offers a beautiful example of someone who curated environments, and and connected it to successful leadership. So so here's an example of that, and I I hope that that my my non answer. Answer your question in a satisfactory Sometimes way. Sometimes the non-answers on here are better than the answers. <laughs> so, uh, I think great leaders cannot possibly overestimate how important it is to create environmental conditions where they can lead well, where they can influence people well. Example: Luke's account uh, in his gospel of Jesus and the Last Supper. Luke spends several verses talking about how Jesus made sure that the physical space was appropriate for him to have one of the most famous suppers and give one of the greatest leadership teachings in history. He talks about how Jesus told his disciples that they would go find a place. He gave them the questions to ask. He said, you'll find a large room. It will be furnished appropriately. I want you to prepare a meal. There was great attention then given by Peter and John, who, if I remember right, were the ones assigned with his task probably many, many, many hours spent making sure that the room was right for the supper that was about to happen that we commemorate regularly 2,000 years ago. From the way the meal was prepared to, again, the furnishings, Jesus talks a little bit about the size. He says it's going to be a large room, etc. And And then he paid attention to uh, spiritual environment. John's gospel said that at the last supper, Jesus showed the full extent of his love. You know, today we would talk in, in Rodney Ferris talks about organizational love. You know, how, how do you create an environment where people can actually feel your love for them? Well, Jesus did that. Then he performs, you know, the greatest act of servant leadership uh, ever performed, at least it's the one we always talk about where he washes his disciples feet. When you create hospitable leadership is a precursor to every other kind of leadership. Uh, Jesus, because he welcomed his disciples in, in, in this physical space, created the spiritual faith. Now he's able to serve them by washing their feet. And then he gives this incredible leadership talk that in John's gospel, I think takes up like, um, I don't know, it's like five chapters, if I remember correctly, where he is kind of giving his 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 last uh, assignment to them before he's going to go to the cross. And he, you know, he 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 talks strategy. He uh, he talks tactics. He talks uh, outcomes. 
He says, you're going to, you're, you're going to have to bear fruit and you're going to be held accountable for it. Um, and, uh, he, he practices team building, but he curated that environment in a way where his leadership efforts were infinitely more effective because he paid attention to the details of hospitality on every level, physically, spiritually, attitudinally, communicatively. So, um, that's my, my attempt to answer your well, I think I'm actually picking up some on something you talked about earlier with physicality, because, you know, you hear the maxim all the time. People don't know how much you people don't care how much, you know, till they know how much you care. Well, it's great to say that. Um, but you can't just say it. You actually have to have physical action that comes with it. And so it's one thing to to talk about servant leadership or it's one thing to talk about a hospitable culture. And this is what we want to be. Uh, but it, it it only remains aspirational until there's action that comes with it. And so, you know, you starting off there with the example of uh, or secondarily, at least coming uh, back to Jesus washing the disciples feet, you know, it's just wow. That was a tangible, actionable or I'm sorry, actual it was a, it was hospitality hospitality actualized in that moment. Yeah. And, and I think that this, this is why it, it's, it's important to understand that, that genuine hospitality is, is so much more than technique. Technique is important, but if you're welcoming, you can welcome people into a very warm physical space. But if what happens when they get there doesn't meet their needs, doesn't serve them, um, doesn't communicate with them in a way that they can understand if the hearts of the people serving are not warm, if they're not showing the full extent of their love, if they're not in whatever way it may look like in whatever context washing that person's feet, well then, then hospitality is, is just, um, it's just that it's just technique, but that's ultimately it's it's the condition of our hearts. Um, hospitality is really a state of being. It's a state of being for for the person who's attempting to be hospitable. And it's also an organization has a state of being a heart. And um, people sense that when they walk into a space, they sense the heart of the organization and, and hospitality is more a heart thing than it's anything else. Really good. All right. Let's move to our uh, last question here. I want to get practical. How can this shift toward hospitality affect things like leading meetings and other aspects of ministry that may seem mundane? One of the things that struck me uh, as I was walking through reading a little bit was you know, the idea of leading meetings and what the difference uh, was in leading a, a meeting in a hospitable way versus, you know, probably the normal way most of us leave meeting. So, <laughs> so walk through that. I mean, we always want to want to leave people with a few practical things. So uh, just talk about that, you know. So, um, I mean, this is, I think, one of many ways that somebody can talk about this concept, but I do think it's an important way because we spend so much time in meetings. Um, 
I, I'm surrounded both on my staff team here and then in our congregation, I think because of the New York City context with lots of MBAs and MOLs and um, people who are very uh, highly trained around all things business. And I'm stunned how often I'll be in a meeting that that someone is leading and um, I'm, you know, I, I want to lay down on the floor and maybe die because though the information is important, my heart is, isn't engaged at all. Obviously, a leader has to engage people at the level of their will. And, um, and they have to be able to grab people's hearts. And so I, I think uh, uh, that in part of what's important about this as it concerns outcomes is Someone can't just walk out of a meeting with action list or goals or objectives um, uh, and be effective. They, they've got to move. They've got to have those things, but their heart has to be engaged. Their will has to be engaged in order for the meeting to have been effective. I think that leaders need to spend a lot more time when they're leading a meeting in thinking about the soft side of leadership. How am I engaging this person at the level of their hearts. And I think that what you're talking about uh, uh, in, in, in my book, The Hospitable Leader, is in the section where we talk about creating an environment of home, and home is where people's hearts are warm. And I just think that a leader needs to spend a, 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 a good bit of time thinking about how, especially in the first part of that meeting, I'm engaging people's hearts. Now, physical environment is important. I think it's so important that when we think about holding successful meetings, that we're thinking about the space, we're thinking about people's comfort, we're thinking about food and drink and the, and the basic warmth of the room. I think that that's really important. I think that that says to someone, um, uh, we, we, we knew you were coming. We were waiting for you. You're important to us. But then I think finding ways, both in, in the way that we cast vision, in the way that we storytell, in the way that we listen, um, in, in the way that we have fun, finding ways to make sure that people's hearts are engaged is so important. And um, I think just, just makes meetings so much more effective. But what, what amazes me is, is how often I see people lead meetings in a uh, Joe Friday, just the facts. Here's, here's what we need to do. Here's what we did wrong last time. Here's what we're going to do next time without understanding that there is, there is an emotional and a will, a, a soul part of that person that has to be engaged in order for the meeting to even be effective. Mm. Well, I, you know, I think it really goes back to the the point you made earlier about, you know, being intentional and about having that posture of hospitality. If we can shift our mindsets into that, um, it's going to really completely change the way we do ministry. And it's going to open a lot of hearts up to uh, ministry that I think a lot of times we forget that people are coming to our service and, you know, they may as well have a, a backpack of rocks on and, we don't want to do anything uh, between <laughs> them coming into our church and sitting down in our worship service that adds to that. If anything, we want to take as much burden 
uh, off of them and help them to feel uh, openness and felt uh, to the gospel. And they're going to do that if we are hospitable and and they feel that and they feel that sense of home. So I want to thank you so much for um, the ministry that you've led, as well as for uh, sharing these concepts in this book with us. Thank you so much, Todd. I appreciate it. Well, uh, you've been listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. And once again, uh, that book is called The Hospitable Leader. You can pick that up at Lifeway.com, Amazon.com, or wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, go to TerryASmith.com slash 5LQ, and you can go ahead and get a preview of the book as well. Thanks for listening. Please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating review.